Brandon Ross. Uh, I'm Rich Greenfield. We want to welcome everyone to this edition of Lightshed Live. We're very excited. We've got Sarah Harden and Liz Jenkins uh, from Hello Sunshine, uh, both of who I've known for a very long time and sort of seen Hello Sunshine from its earliest days as it was being created. And joining them are Kevin Mayer and Tom Staggs, both who we've also known for a super long time, going back to their days at Disney and everything that they've done uh, since then. Um, Kevin with us, stop at TikTok. Tom now on the board of uh, of Spotify. Um, both of them obviously just having done a SPAC um, for Beachbody. So you all have been very, very busy. So I think I hopefully I, I nailed all the different things that you all are doing. But the biggest thing that you're doing is you just announced that you're a, a basically a creating a new media company that its first acquisition or consolidation, I guess, is Hello Sunshine. And so I guess, you know, from a really high level, if we think about sort of there's two paths that everyone in the media space is taking when Brandon and I sort of look at this, the landscape. And on the one side, you've got people creating platforms, whether that be Netflix or whether that be Spotify and music. Um, Disney's obviously trying to do it with all of their platforms. And then you've got sort of what we'll call, and I and I hate this term, but I failed to see a better one. I, I call it the arms dealer approach and sort of what you know, companies like Sony have done in, in, over the last several years of just selling content to everyone. In many ways, what I used to think about Warner Brothers is sort of being kind of the ultimate arms dealer um, before they sort of really vertically integrated with HBO and HBO Max. Yeah. Why did you all take the path? I mean, you both have seen multiple paths. I'm curious, Kevin, Tom, if you want to start out, like why the content IP path versus trying to create a platform? Like, how did I assume you thought about both approaches, but maybe walk us through sort of the thought process of, of building this new media company? Yeah, Tom, I'll, say, I'll start off. With that. Okay. Um, look, uh, in my last years at Disney, or last five years at Disney, we looked very, very hard at whether we should license our product on a global basis and, you know, almost risklessly make a massive amount of revenue and profit out of that. I mean, clearly the opportunity cost of, of, of not licensing product to Disney was is quite substantial. Um, and we looked at the potential for vertical integration and become, and moving Disney into that um, retail uh, part of the value chain that they really had never occupied before. And looking at it, we noted, and one of my missions as chief strategy officer at the time was to figure out um, if there's a better path than the piecemeal licensing that we were doing around the world, was there a better path? And sure enough, there was, um, if we'd have done a big global deal or a couple of global deals with a Netflix and an Amazon, and uh, there was a lot more to be had, a lot, lot more revenue to be had. But then you have to ask yourself the question, why is there a lot more revenue to be had? It's because that content is so valuable in that piece of the value chain that we could, we could have um, uh, levered uh, an incremental revenue base from that. So in looking at that and saying, hey, there's a really great part of the value chain here that we're not exploiting, the platform part of the value chain, it made a ton of sense for Disney. And in fact, um, when Bob Iger and I you know, kind of went down that path, we decided to completely vertically integrate every single piece of creative output from any of the Disney creative engines, whether it be Marvel, Star Wars, Pixar, ABC TV studio, 21st Century Fox TV, all of it, would find a home ultimately, maybe going through a theater, maybe a channel here and there, all of it ultimately and permanently and exclusively on Disney Plus, Hulu, or ESPN Plus. Uh, all of which I ended up launching and running, by the way. Hulu was already running, obviously. So um, we went down that path. And as you said, there were some former arms dealers that kind of looked at what we did, Warner Brothers being a great example of it, and said, hey, we should do the same thing. 
why don't we vertically integrate? So what's happened is that has propagated throughout most, if not all of the Hollywood major studios. They all now have their own streaming assets to which they funnel all, all of their creative output. The long and short of it is if you are a streamer, either one that's owned by one of the vertically integrated guys or an independent like an Apple TV Plus, you need to go to an independent source of content to do content licensing because the big guys are now vertically integrated and really aren't licensing much of their product outside of their ecosystems. So the value of independence and the scarcity value of independence has grown dramatically in the face of extremely rapidly expanding demand for content from all the streamers. And look, even something like Hulu, which is owned by Disney, as we just talked about, they license more than half of their content from third parties because they can't possibly make enough for their own purposes. So you have to go to independence like Hello Sunshine, which does a, which has a big licensing deal with Hulu. So we love the notion of independence. We also like the notion that in, in being an independent producer and studio, scale is going to be more important than ever because you have to negotiate and deal with a very you know, small set of very large buyers. And so we think that scale, scale is important and having the highest quality premium content that is must have is a necessary component of that equation. Hence, Hello Sunshine being the first, uh, the first move in a, in a few that we're going to make. You want to have the best content, has to be, you know, the, the streamers need it and we need scale to get the best deals possible and capital to make sure that we can take the bets when we need to to own the content versus um, just making it for a, for a streamer and letting them own it. So the long and short is we think that's a great place to be. Creating a new platform now would be a very difficult proposition indeed. Um, and, and that's the strategy. As you kind of, I'm not sure if this is for Kevin or Tom or both, as you kind of survey the landscape of these vertically integrated um, streaming platforms, do you see in three, four, five years, all of them being successful and continuing to stick around? And um, do, do you see you know, potential M&A there? And what role will your content play in making these platforms successful? I'd say that you're going to have multiple players, even as you get out several years. I think you're going to see a variety of bundling strategies that that a number of them will play into. And clearly some of them will be big, global, very broadly distributed. Others will have not quite as big a sub base. Um, some will be premium. Some will be um, ad supported. Um, and and I suspect there'll be, there'll be those that have a blended business model. But um, there's going to continue to be multiple players. Um, it's part of the reason that we think this is um, a, a strong opportunity for us because we think that the, the, the market for really high quality category defining content is going to be robust for the foreseeable future. We're going to come back to that in a second, but I want to get Sarah and Liz involved. So um, first of all, if you have questions, please use the Q&A box. We'll get through as many as we can in the hour. Just submit them uh, and we'll try to push through as many as we can. Um, don't be shy. And then maybe Sarah, um, just because you've been at Hello Sunshine the longest between you and Liz, maybe just bring us back the original concept. Why did Reese and team build Hello Sunshine? Like, what was the actual goal? And I'm sure on day one, it wasn't to be part of a company with Kevin and Tom Staggs. Like, what was the original goal? And how has that vision evolved over the last several why, years? Why is that so hard to believe that that was? I'm just, I, I'm just saying, I'm guessing that wasn't part of the original script that Reese wrote out. I, I remember some original memo that Peter Chernin had showed me when they were making the original sort of investment into Hello Sunshine. And I, I just don't remember your two names showing up in that memo. <laughs> Um, you know, I think 
actually, I think when Reese came and met with us, you know, I was running Otter at the Turner Group, she had a pretty fully formed vision of what she wanted to do. Now, she obviously had a decades-long career as a very successful actress and had, had been producing very successfully with Wild and Gone Girl and was just going into shooting Big Little Lies. And so when we talked, I think she had this vision, which was how to build a media company. And, um, and, and I think part of that was having a premium content studio at the centre of that, but a belief that as you are building for the next 10 to 20 years in media, you needed to have other advantages. And one of those was having a direct relationship with your consumer because every piece of content, whether it's launching on Netflix or on YouTube or on Instagram, is launching into a cultural conversation. And in a marketplace that's incredibly crowded, um, you have to build advantage um, in that. It's not enough just to produce that content, but we've got to also help audiences show up. She was very early on Instagram, and I think she'd had that experience also of the back and forward in, you know, communicating with her followers on Instagram as well. And I think that was one thing. I think the second thing was she met and sat with talent and creators, and this is the part of the company that was born from frustration, her own frustration with the lack of roles and representation. And, you know, we talked in that first meeting about the decades of lost stories from women and people of colour who had been structurally silenced from Hollywood. It was like, how do we sit with a creator and whether they have if they have a distinctive story, be able to, if that's a podcast or a feature film or a TV series or an unscripted series, have a company that's able to bring those to life. And so I think right from the start, we embraced building sort of all of our swim lanes. Um, we started in scripted um, and a follow-up with unscripted and kids animation studios and then at the same time building out a direct-to-consumer part of the company. But that was really the original vision and it's funny, one of the things we've done in the last six months is go back to that first slide deck and share that with our team and it's remarkable. We've just been heads down executing on on that but but honestly the original vision is pretty similar um, than, than where we started in that first conversations that we had with Reese. Had a question come in through the chat from Rebecca, and I'm going to read it. It says, "Please walk through slash provide some insight into valuation methodology." And I, you guys may not share that part, um, but and key differentiators of Hello Sunshine versus other production companies in the space right now. I think this one's really for Kevin and Tom. Yeah, I mean, look, we. Tom and I are quite disciplined when it comes to how to value companies. I'm, I'm happy to talk about the methodology. There's no, there's no. Yeah, let's hear it then. Um, you know, we look at a company's um, his, histor historical uh, ability to generate cash flow. Um, we look at their strategy. We look at their prospective um, plans for generating cash and profits and revenue, and we assess the management team. In this case, I was very easy. I've known Sarah for a couple of decades, and getting to know Liz and the other management team. That you, there's a high degree of conviction. That, they, that the projections that they gave to us were going to be achieved and more so. Um, and we simply do what's called a discounted cash flow analysis. You look at all that cash that's going to come in the future. I know you've heard it a thousand times. But yeah, we're familiar with that one. Yeah, that's what we did. That's what we did in this instance. You have a couple of cases, but look, you have to believe in what you're investing in too, that those cash flows will come and that you can that you have a degree of, of, of conviction again that the people, and it's all about people, that the people in place are, are going to be able to deliver. So we met with Reese. We met with the management team several times. Um, and by the way, Reese is an, is an astonishingly um, smart and um, really accomplished business person, as well as being you know, the creative person that she is. And that was very impressive to see. 
And we just like like what we saw and we believed in it and we think we'll do together even better than than they could do um, on their own, which we I think they believe the same thing. And any deal, um, if the standalone value, if the, if the value as part of the acquirer doesn't exceed the standalone value, there's really no deal to be done because you have to have that asymmetry in valuation to get, um, to get, to get a deal done. So that's what we've done. I've done it many times at Disney. Tom and I did it together at Disney a lot of times. Um, and by the way, the other thing I will say is um, we've been told that we overpaid for Marvel. We overpaid for I remember that. I remember that, Kevin. You massively, that. you massively overpaid for that I don't acquisition. Think, I don't think anyone said that about Lucas, though. So, okay. no, we got a couple. We got a couple notes. We got a couple. Really? Pay for quality. You got to pay up for quality. You got to pay fully, and we were very happy to do that in this instance. I think. It yeah, was- I, I just add. You know, as you guys know, not all content is created equal. Not all creative enterprises are created equal. Um, these guys create category-defining, compelling content. It goes to an underserved audience. Um, it's compelling. It's authentic. And it generates the kind of and commands the kind of attention that that is you can monetize. And that showed up in our analysis and it shows up every day and how these guys go to work. And so uh, we're we're actually fired up about the uh, the value here. Liz, so, you want to you take- like the team yeah. is the real differentiator here. In, in yeah, your guys, yeah. Vision. This vision. is a, this is a really impressive team up and down uh, across the board. And their vision when we first met to talk. We had a vision, you know, given my time at TikTok was the intersection of content, um, commerce, and technology. And they had their, and we hadn't seen their deck and their deck, content, commerce, and community. I mean, literally the same mission. And we all believe in that extensibility. Not only do we believe that we need that the vertical integration causes independence to be very valuable and, and scaling that is important, but also extending those relationships that you develop through having high quality content and great creators into a commerce relationship with those with the followers on social media, we had the exact same vision. It was pretty remarkable. And that's another thing we love about the company. Liz, you've worked at multiple production companies. You want to just sort of take the second half of that question, just because I think you probably have some unique insight in terms of like, just from a production standpoint, what differentiates Hello Sunshine from other pure production studios? Yeah, exactly. You know, I think um, just to underscore some of what, you know, Kevin was just saying, as well as what Sarah said, I think it's the intention behind how Hello Sunshine was built. We were never, I've cringed every time I read about Hello Sunshine described as a production company, because I think that really um, sort of misses the mark at what Sarah and Reese and the rest of the team have been aiming to build. And that extra component, not even just, it's not even just a studio, it's really a media company. And it's a company that's built for sort of like very, on a very forward looking basis for the next 20 years of the business. So it's it's a company that's, that creates really sort of category defining platform defining content. So you could say that's a lot of what, you know, production production companies can do. Um, but it's also a company that has, we have a really strong brand, right? And whether it's Hello Sunshine as a brand, Reese's Book Club being the, you know, arguably the most influential book club in America and it being a really um, an engine for kind of developing IP that we're able to sort of platform and tent pull um, little fires everywhere is a really great example of that. Having that direct connection with um, an audience and being able to not just deliver um, a great piece of content to a platform partner, but to deliver audience as well, because we're really engaged with them authentically. It's sort of that, 
that 360 degrees or relationship that we have with our audience everywhere, whether they're in their car, listening it, listening to it on audio, whether or not they're buying one of our Reese's Book Club gift of reading boxes and receiving them in the mail. There are a lot of those touch points that really, um, I think, set us set us apart. And it's really both, it's, it's both the kind of category defining like content, it's the brand and all of that together that I think really set um, our um, our business apart from other independent production companies. Um, we have a ton of questions coming in, but I, I want to just circle back on that, what you just said, Liz, because I think it's really important. I think one of the things that confuses a lot of the people that are watching um, this right now or listening right now um, is sort of the the ownership of the content. Like clearly Hello Sunshine is omni-channel. You want to be everywhere. And I think you've shown sort of books, audio, video, TV, film, but a lot of times because you're working with the platforms that want to control all of the content or want to control their IP, you don't own the content. And I guess, I guess my question sort of is like, how do you think about actually controlling the IP and as part of this transaction so that you can take more control because you'll have a greater, I guess, for lack of a better word, war chest to control IP versus, you know, sort of being forced to give up some of that IP to the platforms. And I, I'm sure Liz can answer that, but I'm sure everyone probably has a view on that. But I'll, Liz, why don't you just start? Sure. No, it's a fa- fantastic question. Very insightful, of course, Rich. Expect no less <laughs> from you. But, you know, um, one, I think, is the way we approach going to market prior talk, pre-transaction and post, um, we've approached going to market is like independent and able to sell to everyone, right? So if you look, we've got series already on or in development with every single platform um, that's out there. What that allows us to do is obviously one really drive kind of a market determined outcome and drive the highest value for a given project. It also allows us to match each project to the home that may be creative, but we may also be looking at it through a business lens. There are um, pieces of content shows that we have, that we have retained ownership of the copyright on. Um, There are some shows where we haven't. And so we've been really intentional about looking at how we value a piece of content, valuing the long tail of that content, and where does it make most sense to go? Is it is it okay if we license it to a platform or sell it to a platform where we don't retain that IP? Um, and what's sort of the value that we need to drive up front to make that trade worth it? But to be clear, we've actually been able to successfully retain um, ownership in in um, some of the IP and series that we've licensed. As we look going forward, you know, in the next phase of growth, and it was one of the things that was really incredible, Kevin highlighted it before about the way we think about the business in that first meeting when we were shared, it was like a meeting of the minds. Mm-hmm. We think about the industry in such similar ways and having a partner both in Kevin and Tom, as well as like an incredible capital partner in Blackstone that may enable us in some cases you know, having additional capital and being able to bring that to the table will allow us to to retain rights in different ways. I think, you know, I look at our kids and animation business is a great example of that, um, where the the long tail is massive and the downstream value is huge. And and having additional capital along with partners who know that business, you know, um, quite intimately, I think, um, is uh, will be a massive advantage for 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 us going forward. We had the Moonbug team on um, a few weeks ago on Light Chat Live, and it, the downstream is incredible when you get it right. Yeah, yeah, they're 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 very impressive. Can I just add one thing to that to that rich this notion of ownership? I think it's sometimes talked about in a very black and white way, and 
you know, I say we've built the company in a really capital light way today, but you can have ownership of a copyright and have very low economic interest still in the same thing. It's a portfolio, right? You have ownership, then you have, you can not own the copyright, but have a significant majority downstream economic interest in something and then control. You can have sets of rights you control. And sometimes this notion that streamers buy out all rights, it's not true. <laughs> I mean, if you actually look at these deals, they're really wide ranging. They might buy out a first license or a first window for a show in certain territories for a certain period of time that can revert to the copyright owners. They may buy out sets of rights and allow you to control downstream downstream rights and own a significant piece of the back end pool. And so what Liz is saying is right, we've assembled with very little capital invested. And so as we look forward, actually having more flexibility to lean into that, but even today, and I think what that reflects when we talk about the advantage of our of our strategy, we're in the few things well business. We package distinctive content. We take it to market. We're very intentional about what we're doing. It allows you to drive under the hood. I think some advantaged, um, an advantage position in in the content that we are taking out. And I think that's only going to improve from here with a, a little more financial flexibility. A ton of open questions. I don't think we've ever had this many questions this fast for a light shed live. So a, a lot of interest in what you guys are doing. I just had a quick one before that, I think maybe for Kevin um, um, and or Tom again. It, this Hello Sunshine's not the first production company or asset to come for sale in the last couple of months. There's actually, um, if you read press reports, a whole handful of them. Why do you think now is the time that these companies are looking to sell or partner? Um, well, look, I think uh, companies such as Hello Sunshine and others that might may or may not be mentioned uh, are seeing the same. You know, we're all, we're, we've all been operating this industry for a long time. We're all, I think, pretty smart about what's happening and the benefits of coming together uh, versus staying uh, standalone. Uh, so I think that that is just a realization that a lot of people um, are coming to um, within a, you know, a, a, kind of at the same time, um, the streaming dynamics and the purchasing power and the, and the consolidation on that side of the equation on the buyer side is really clear. Um, and I think the benefits of being part of a uh, more vibrant, you know, more dynamically scaled enterprise on the seller side is equally clear. So I think it's, you know, the economic forces of uh, the normal, you know, economic forces that you'd see in a situation like this uh, are calling for this this exact uh, consolidation to happen on the ones on the sell, on the creation side as well as now on the on the delivery side. So I think it's just a natural uh, evolution that's that now you're seeing uh, manifested. So let, okay. let's dig into some of these questions. Um, maybe this one for I'll, I'll ask this one to Tom. Um, this is from Matt says. When do some of the platforms that don't scale up give up and they, do they just become arms dealers after like a Google, uh, but with way more content than just Cobra Kai? And I guess the question I'm assuming the question is framed in the context of is there going to be a glut of production studios following this arms dealer strategy in one to two years because they can't all be platforms? And is that uh, a risk to what you're looking at? Yeah, I think there's always been a, a lot of people trying to make content. Um, and there always will be, uh, and and some of them will be bigger and some will be smaller. With, to the extent that that folks are really investing in um, platforms, uh, I, I don't know that you're going to see a bunch of them suddenly say, "Let's just, you know, forget that and and sell." I, it's it's possible that there'll be 
some that, that turn to being just, as you put it, an arms dealer. Um, but I think that the, the ability to bring together uh, a number of creative entities that are strong like Hello Sunshine and put them into an independent company of scale the way Kevin just talked about uh, gives you the ability to, to, on an advantage basis, continue to create content and profit from it, even though that we don't expect to be the only game in town. There's going to be a, a number of folks out there. I, I actually don't think that um, it probably ratifies what we're doing more so than it, than it causes a threat to it, my sense. But uh, this, will, this will never not be a competitive business. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and read Nigel's question now, and I think this one is probably more for um, Sarah or or Liz. And he says, Kevin mentioned scale being important in dealing with large platform buyers. Would be interested to hear where scale as a producer extracts better economics than the competitive tension on an individual's project. Is the idea that one can pursue full slate deals? Yeah, I mean, I, I will address that. I think, look, I think one of the advantages, one of the things we look at as we move forward, you know, with Media Newco and with Blackstone is, you know, for us, we're a four and a half year old company is as we grow and sell parts of our company. So if you look at scripted, unscripted and, and kids in animation, um, I think there are the opportunities for that. That's, that's, and as where we look today, our focus has actually been with those buyers in how we're building distinctiveness. Um, and, you know, we've been in the few things, well, how we're building advantage in the way that we go out to those players. And, you know, I still think we're on that path for the next couple of years, right, which is like must have content that we are bringing you know, in the case of our books, if you look at a, a project like Daisy Jones, right, we picked that with Taylor Jenkins Reid. We're about to go into production with that with, with Amazon. Um, bringing our audiences to that who followed that book since we picked it at Reese's Book Club, like Little Fires, all throughout the whole cycle and bringing that to bear with these platforms. And so that's been ultimately we're still in that mode four and a half years in of executing on that and and on, on, the, on the unscripted side and also kids in animation. And then... As we're bringing scale to bear, I think it's not just within us, but also across some of the other um, Newco companies. And I think part of that is addressing audiences, how we're doing that on digital and social. Um, you know, you talk about content being made for platforms. You know, the platforms are also TikTok and, <laughs> um, and part of the social conversation as well. So I think there's a lot to come there. But I would say when you look at Hello Sunshine, I think we are still heads down in the next couple of years focusing on continuing to deepen our advantage and distinctiveness in every project we, you know, we bring to the, you know, bring to the platforms across our studio businesses, our content businesses. Well, let, let me just riff on that because I think, and it probably opened it up to the whole group of all four of you. Does the platform matter? Meaning, you know, I, I'm going to be honest. You've got the morning show, which I just saw the trailer for season two hit uh, on Apple TV Plus. And thank you to T-Mobile. I'm going to get another year free of Apple TV Plus. Um, you've got um, a show, as you just mentioned, coming to Amazon. You've sort of got, I mean, Sarah, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you've got content on virtually every major platform that's out there. You put little fires on Hulu. I guess where my question is going, though, and I, it sort of ties to Nigel's, 
do you care who buys it? Like, does it matter that this show's on Amazon and this one's on Apple, or is it just about maximizing value? Like, because like, you can take one angle and say, okay, if it's on Netflix or Disney Plus, more people around the globe will see it versus, you know, one of these other platforms. Like, how do you think about sort of dollars versus keeping everybody hungry? Yeah, how does that whole dynamic work? And I'm sure you each, I see Tom smiling, but I'm sure you each have a slightly different view on this, but I'd love to sort of hear how you think about it. I say that briefly, maybe Liz wants to follow up. Look, it is an art, not a science. It's absolutely not just about numbers and dollars. I mean, we truly believe there is the right creative partner for the show. Making any series is a huge endeavour, a multi-year endeavour. <laughs> Often by the time you option something and bring writers and talent has a real view as well and a perspective. And ultimately, I think in the way that we work, which is few things well, distinctive series that you know any partner is going to get behind in the way that they market it. Um, there is, you want them to feel the passion for it that we feel in um, whenever we bring, whenever we take anything out to the market. I don't know if you want to build on that. Yeah, you know, I would just say too, I think one of the things, especially if you look at our scripted business and the, the position that we've sort of carved out, it is, it's platform defining content. It is content that becomes intimately associated and related to the brand of that platform. It has been shown to successfully drive subscriber acquisition, et cetera. You know, so I think having a partner who one values, uniquely values that piece of like, content, that series, um, I think is a real advantage. Um, it's an advantage from a business perspective when it comes to, you know, thinking about renewals. It's an advantage from a business perspective, especially if you look at the events over the last year. We didn't have a single series that was canceled as a result of, of COVID or increased cost associated with COVID, you know, given both not just the strength of the creative, the IP, but the relationship we have with each of those platforms, there was a desire to figure out how to get that thing done, you know? So it really is kind of the art of, of matching each project to, to the home where it like sort of uniquely fits fits best. And then I think, you know, part and parcel of that, like a great business outcome usually comes if you've got all of those other pieces. Um, right. So um, we've got a question from Stephanie. As Kevin, Tom think about other companies that might do similar deals with, how do existing deals they may have with studios first look overall deals factor in? Do you anticipate operating other acquisitions separate from Hello Sunshine or potentially looking at synergies across other deals, meaning do you are you building one massive production company or lots of little production companies, or do you not even know yet? I, I'm ad-libbing on the end there. <laughs> well, I think, um, Kevin, you could chime in as well. It's important that when you when you get an asset like Hello Sunshine, that just, just as it was important in the acquisition of Pixar at Disney, Marvel, that you, you allow them to continue to do what they do so well. And so... Job one is to make sure that Hello Sunshine continues going forward. They've got an amazing team. Um, the, as we hopefully bring in other strong creative uh, enterprises and capabilities, we would certainly look to have um, synergies across them. I think Kevin and I are probably more excited about the potential for collaboration and revenue type synergies than you know making this a cost cutting exercise. That that isn't really our uh, primary intent at all. Um, but uh, we do think that there will be revenue opportunities, but the opportunities of 
scale when you start to try to leverage social platforms to create social commerce off of creators and, and content. Um, and that, that is part of the opportunity here, in our opinion. But, um, you know, the most important thing is when you find great companies like Hello Sunshine is to make sure that you preserve what makes and will continue to make keep them great. And I mean, I maybe just tie this into Sarah for a second, just because obviously you all are rolling your equity into the larger entity. So I, I assume acquisitions from here forward are not just Kevin and Tom decisions, they're collective Hello Sunshine team, Kevin, Tom decisions, Blackstone decisions. Is that fair in the way you think about it and why you are so excited about this? Yeah, look, we're just, we're really energized by the Nuco strategy. We partnered with Kevin, Tom and Blackstone. And, you know, absolutely, I think as part of that, I think, you know, we're a small but mighty team right now. Um, and, you know, I'm, you know, being part of, of that. I mean, Reese is heavily engaged in, in, in being great partners, I think, to other companies that will come into Nuco. And, you know, our focus, I keep saying, we're just heads down, we're looking ahead the next five years, everything, we're, the more we execute, we are a mission-driven company and the more we get to do, the more we get to execute, the more storytellers we get to work with, um, the more, I mean, that's really critically important to us. You know, I think when Reese set out five years ago to build this company with a lot of ambition and that ambition has only increased. And so as we look ahead the next five to 10 years, it's like focusing on delivering against everything that's we're energized and excited to do as a management team and then, and then being really good thought partners in, in how not only, you know, we support other companies coming into new COVID and, you know, how we work together with them to continue to build advantage for, for, you know, for the, for the new business overall. I would just, I would add, that's really well said, Sarah, first of all, that's great. Uh, I totally look, one of the reasons we're so excited, one of the many reasons actually that we're so excited to have this particular team is that we see things in a similar way, but not always exactly the same way. And it, I, I really look forward, Tom and I both in the Blackstone team, look forward to hearing some more voices around the table as to what we should be doing and why. Um, they're true partners of ours. And having said that, we did you know, talk about our plans going forward extensively, as you might, might imagine, before doing this deal. And we do see things you know, 90% the same way. Um, and and it's great. And so I think that we are going to, as a team, go forward, build this company of ours, name it at some point with their help, hopefully, and actually and get this thing going, but as partners. And so these, you know, I we have a lot of faith in that team and we know that we can rely on them on their um, partnership going forward. So that's very, super important. There's a couple of questions here that I think um, are, well, the first one is directed specifically to Liz. And um, it says to Liz, how have you already started to action on building into other verticals beyond production? And what are the goals beyond the book club? Sure. Well, you know, I think obviously we have three different studio businesses. Um, and we started with scripted, but at the same time, the first two things were scripted studio and Reese's book club. Um, so as we added new studios on scripted and, and kids, we also sort of evolved and deepened some of the other businesses that we had. So with Reese's book club and, and Sarah can, can share more um, about our, our vision there, but we've really expanded and extended that business this year, um, adding our first sort of membership 
opportunity, launching an app, launching a commerce element really successfully this year and continuing to expand. Maybe just explain for a second the membership element because maybe everyone may not be familiar with that. There's a and there's a couple other questions about that too. Sure. Yeah, Erica. Yeah, do you want me to look? I I think our focus has been we built Reese's Book Club organically, um, built the influence around that. Reese picks 12 books a year, one every month, and about another five YA books mid month um, throughout the year. And, you know, that has been our focus in the last, and we've had a massively engaged community. And the reading and books sit at a center of a huge emotional connection for women. It brings women together in their homes. It is sort of form of communal self-care for women. And we've built this incredible community. And our focus starting was how to deepen what it means to become a member. So we launched a free app. We are heavily, we have heavily engaged members. We're doing AMA chats. We're connecting our members more closely to the authors, to Reese and each other in that app. We're doing doing large virtual uh, you know, weekly virtual events around that. And on the back of that, we've launched um, something called the Gift of Reading to address a gap in the gifting marketplace for books. It's an e-commerce offering. But but that's just part of, I think, a multi-year strategy to really build out a membership community in and around Reese's Book Club. <laughs> nice work, Rich, on that in your background. Well done. Um, but ultimately, why Book Club is so strategic for us is, you know, it's editorially very separate from our scripted business, but to the extent we find a book that we love for book club, we absolutely look at it for film and TV, right? So if you look at this year, we're in production on, we're just wrapping production on From Scratch, a book by Tembi Lock, and we're in film teams in Sicily right now. We're about to start on Daisy Jones and the Six. You know, about five shows this year, two of those, um, you know, morning show, Truth Be Told, and then Surface for Apple. It's our five TV shows of production this year. Two of those books from Reese's Book Club picks. And it, what it means also is we're bringing that whole community with us in a really virtuous model. And so it gives us an advantage to the extent that we can pick an author, Reese can pick a book that she truly loves. It gives us an advantage in how we acquire IP and package it. And then we bring the whole community with us, which is really advantaged to the to our partners when it comes to promoting and bringing audiences to the show. And that was the case with Little Fires. We were probably the first book that we sort of platformed throughout the whole company. Um, so we're building that both as a membership community and um, also we're bringing that audience to our film and TV properties when it makes sense. And you'll see similarly on kids' animation, I think, right, a mix of, we haven't announced anything we're doing that side, but a mix of of, of, of shows from, from book-driven IP for the children, for preschool and big kids, and also uh, originals as well. Um, question. Yeah, so I think that's a, just a, I was just going to say one other thing quickly, but I think this is an example of sure. as we look at, it's the content community and commerce. I think Reese's Book Club is a perfect example of how we sort of are able to hit all, all, all three of those. And I think we continue to look for opportunities um, across our business. One of the, you know, there's a great series um, our, uh, in our unscripted business, making the cut on Amazon. And it's interesting there, you know, I don't know if you guys have seen the show, but one of the incredible elements that really solves that sort of, you know, t-commerce conundrum, right? Where at the end of every episode, you're able to buy um, the winning designer's look on Amazon. I mean, and you're able to buy it if you try to immediately after the show drops because it sells out within seconds. Sarah and I can both attest to not even having the inside track to get our favorite looks. <laughs> Um, but but that sort of goes. Gary's but that's denim a, jacket, guys, from by Levi's. But, Gary's denim jacket. It is like but, but, a hot ticket. <laughs> no, no, no. But 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 that yeah. sort of goes back to that question I asked Sarah before. 
that the platform does matter in that sense, right? So in that in yes. that case, the show is exactly. actually better suited to Amazon than it would have been yeah. for a Netflix or a Peacock or right. somebody exactly. else, right? Like so, the platform yeah. b- beyond price, there is other parts of your business where platforms can offer you integrations and unique capabilities that others simply cannot. That's a great example. That's correct. Good point, Rich. I try to add a little value on these calls, just a little. <laughs> Brandon, I know you have a follow-up, so go ahead. Yeah, this one's from um, Jason Rapp. How do you weigh new product launches by channel? In other words, how would you rank e-com versus podcast versus TV versus film versus live events versus music? And do you rule any out? Oh, that's such a good question. And Liz is smiling there too. Because look, I think we've been an early stage company with you know, in the last four and a half years. And I think one of the things with, we talk about being in the few things well business. So we've tried to make meaningful moves and in each of those in parallel, but, but you've got to be really judicious about the use of capital as well. And, and, and so I think we've got some of the sequencing of that, right. And I'm really excited as we keep building to make, I think, more decisive moves in some of, in some of these areas. But I would say everything we're doing is trying to it's, it's not just about generating revenue, but how do we tighten our advantage and our, and our relationship between them? If you think about commerce, for us, it's just a broad way of saying consumer engagement. Best e-commerce makes someone feel closer to a brand, makes someone feel part of a community, makes someone feel part of a show. When people buy the winning look on making the cut, they're not just because they like the clothes, they feel like they're supporting that designer as well, as one example. When they buy their books through us or swipe up to buy, they truly feel part of elevating more diverse storytellers, which is what we're doing through Reese's Book Club. And so that's the way we think about it is how do we how do we move multiple parts of the business forward? One podcast is an area I would like to we'd like to you know make some bigger moves I think in that space. We've produced some really good podcasts with you know but I, I think that's an area where I mean, we're just big believers in audio storytelling and there's a lot of innovation to come. So you know, I, I certainly think it's an area that we'd like to dive deep. So we've had to be very disciplined, I would have to say, and that discipline's going to continue. Um, but I think we've, we've, we've tried to, like, you know, before we enter into something, saying, well, how can we do it distinctively, not just do it? Um, and in areas where we can build some advantage, actually, because it is just a super competitive marketplace. And I think podcasts one of those areas where, um, you know, all of the things that it needs in a crowded landscape, to, to stand out, to build audience, to build a network, to monetize effectively. Um, so, you know, that's certainly one area that we've been looking at the last, you know, six to 12 months to, I, I think, make a normal major move in the next year or two. Maybe shifting back to Tom and Kevin, we've got a bunch of questions on sort of global ambitions. And I'll read this because I think Stephen did a great job of encapsulating this. What is the NUCO's vision for investing operating outside the U.S. to achieve global scale desired by the biggest platforms? Netflix has trained a new generation of consumers to embrace programming in different languages. Um, I just, uh, I've been watching a lot of, I, Lupin's one of my favorite shows, so I agree. Right. Um, um, but many producers in the U.S. still focus only on English language, keen to hear about your international vision and strategy. And that ties into a very similar question that we got, but I'll just read it because it, it has a slight spin to it from Mauricio saying, what is the overall plans for companies around international original content and more specifically Latinx audiences, IP and filmmakers? So I guess just thinking about the global content, we've been talking a lot about Hello Sunshine, which has mainly been a U.S. content creator, but we're seeing a lot of global content creation. Where's your head at in terms of global versus U.S.? Yeah, um, I'm Tom to jump in, but I'll I'll take that one. Um, 
the importance of locally produced content is growing and has never been, never been larger. Look, there are tastes that now run local because there's more and more high quality productions being done outside the U S that's been, that's been a secular trend now for, you know, 15 or 20 years. I don't think that Netflix has especially trained anyone in that regard. I think it's just that um, those capabilities have, become, have arisen and become more and more high quality over time. So there is a, a growing, uh, a growing uh, demand in many, many markets for their local language, locally produced content, which is good. And it resonates with them culturally, obviously. Um, there's also regulations which have arisen, um, which are very, very becoming more and more stringent over time and more difficult to satisfy where first it started with an EU regulation, you had to 25% of your 30% of the number of the content from an EU member nation, and you could choose a domicile. And as long as it, as long as it comported with the laws of that domicile country in the EU, often it was, it was uh, the Netherlands for various reasons, then it could be, it, would, it was safe harbored throughout all of the EU. That is no longer the case. More and more, each individual country is demanding that you have locally produced content in that country, France and Italy now being a great example of that making it more and more difficult to source the content you need for being, you know, for global streamers like Disney plus, by the way, and, um, and HBO max and Netflix and Paramount plus all of them that have global ambitions, Apple TV plus obviously is in that. So there was also a regulatory reason uh, to, uh, to pursue uh, local production. So it's a great business. Um, we do, we fully intend to have a global footprint um, with companies that are actually domiciled outside the U S that is something that's super important to us. And I think a great business, um, in return, in terms of Latinx, we have our, we have our sites set on a couple of companies that we think are pretty cool, um, that represent not only, you know, the U S Latinx, um, community, but also Latin America itself, um, both, uh, you know, Mexico and part South. So, uh, really important part of the mix. And, um, and, and again, those opportunities extend, extend across, you know, music and, and entertain long form entertainment, short form entertainment, podcasts. All, and commerce, all of the above. So we think that everything we do around the world will have all pieces from all of that. Sarah, have you ever looked at making an, oh, sorry, Tom, go ahead. I was just gonna say, I only add that, that I think bringing um, with Nuco greater capital, greater scale, greater market access to some of these companies is value enhancing for them, for, the, for these local producers. And so I think that that proposition uh, will resonate and it sort of already is in some of the conversations we're having. So we think it's a big opportunity. I feel like yeah. you all really missed off by not having new code t-shirts for today. Like, I really feel like that would have gone a long way. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Sarah. I'm sorry. No, I just want to a new t-shirt to show off. Yeah, we're, actually gonna, we're actually going to have a new name every month or so, and we're just we recycle more t-shirts. I missed the, I missed the, the hashtag good luck bundle t-shirts. Right there's a quite, By the way, there's a question about that, but we'll get to it later. We'll get to that later. <laughs> I just want to, I want to come back to Maurizio's um, question. Hi, Maurizio. Um, you know, I think for us too, uh, like we don't see ourselves, we're certainly producing English language um, here. And obviously, you know, a number of our shows are distributed globally, they're re-language. But I think to get back to Maritza's question, I think we absolutely, and for us, you know, a big part is, is you know, if we've got to change the stories, we've got to change the storytellers. And that means finding IP that is authored by Latinx voices. It means bringing in as, as you know, Maurizio has done it wise so successfully, right? Bringing in those storytellers into the story making process. And so while I can't speak about any specific project projects, it's absolutely a goal of ours um, for storytellers, storytellers of colour. And there's so much white space still to come because when you look at the world around us and you look at who's consuming our media, 
there is still a huge gap between that and who gets to author um, our media. And so, you know, for us, I think, you know, we absolutely see that gap, particularly with, um, you know, with Latino filmmakers and authors and creators. And, I mean, it's obviously an ambition of ours to play a part with with those creators and bringing their stories, um, you know, to the screen. Looking at Rich's T-shirt, I know he's dying to ask what your blockchain strategy is, but we'll go with a question from Edwin. Um, within Hello Sunshine, how do you think about evaluating, attracting, and retaining creators? And more broadly for Tom and Kevin, how do you evaluate creative talent during the M&A process and across the future portfolio? So what, what are you looking for? Um, in evaluating creative talent? Sarah or Liz? Liz, you want to do that one? Sure. You know, I think um, Sarah just hit on a lot of the key, um, a lot of the key points. Uh, but one of the things I'd add is we talk a lot, Lauren Neustadter, who runs our scripted business, talks a lot about emotional overalls, right? And, and you know, I think if you were to look across our slate and you'll see a lot of the same names, whether they be writers or directors, um, actors or actresses, you know, crop up and across multiple projects. And it's really because, you know, we really try to create a an environment that is, you know, friendly and hospitable to creators where, you know, um, this the stories that we're telling are really authentically authored. And I think that and putting all of that together really results in an environment, I think, where people, creators are doing their sort of the work of their, their, their lives and, and um, you know, in, in partnership with platforms, et cetera. You know, I think that we've been, we've had a lot of real success in attracting and retaining really diverse um, authors and, uh, and talent. And I think it's, it's so critical to what it is that we do. And I think enabling some of those storytellers as well who may have uh, a podcast or an unscripted series, the fact that we are able to bring all the parts of our platform to bear and engage in real partnership with them, I think has allowed us for a company, um, you know, only four and a half years old to attract the, the caliber, attract and retain the caliber of talent that we have. I also think that, that look, the, the, as you starting with something like Hello Sunshine, um, you know, really sends a signal about equality. And one of the things that you, you find in this business is that that really strong creative processes attract more creative partners. And uh, one of the things we saw in Hello Sunshine is the number of creative folks who want to work with this company is huge. Um, and uh, I think that's only going to grow. And to the extent that we can make uh, other acquisitions in the same vein, we're going to have uh, greater opportunities in that regard. And so, and, and really when you find a group with um, such passion and clarity around their creative vision and purpose, um, you sort of, you know it when you see it. And, um, and, and this, this group has that. I actually wanted to shift gears and ask Tom a question about games and um, video games are clearly taking uh, a lot of share of time spent in entertainment these days. I remember um, back at Disney, you guys made you know a couple of different attempts um, to get into the video game business and just wanted to hear your perspective on why you think these kind of traditional media 
um, companies haven't been, been able to make the jump um, there. And especially as people are talking about the quote unquote metaverse now. What, there we go. We, we had to get it onto this screen. Yeah, we had to get it in. <laughs> well, look, Which actually and, has a metaverse t-shirt coming, by the way. Um, and Kevin has clear views on this too, so I'm sure he may, may jump in. But, uh, you know, the... Look, the games business is clearly evolving and um, the capabilities of these engines and the metaverse um, will, will cause everyone in the creative uh, business to have to look at them if, from a tool standpoint, if nothing else. Um, but I, I will say that, that the games business um, does take a set of skills and DNA that you have to be very thoughtful about making sure that you've, you've built into, into the company to the extent that you want to take on game creation and publishing um, as, a, as a core part of the business. So I think Kevin and I are open to looking at it opportunistically. It's not necessarily the first place that we'll start, but um, to the extent that we create IP that, that has real opportunity in the game space, we'll look to exploit it either through directly or through partnership license or otherwise. That's Kevin, I, you can make that, that. That's the main thing there is we, there are ways to exploit. If you have a great IP that will work in a gaming environment, there's ways to monetize that short of being a publisher yourself or being a, you know, even a developer. But, but by the way, we wouldn't take that off the table either. Um, certainly with Blackstone behind us, and you know, I'm, I'm not sure enough has been said about Blackstone in this whole, in this whole hour. They've been an amazing, amazing partner. Had the opportunity to work with a lot of different private equity folks and sovereign wealth funds and all that stuff. I mean a lot. And after very careful consideration, we chose Blackstone because for, for many reasons. But so they, they like the games business. We like the games business. And at some point, um, we may want to invest in it more, more, more fully. But just like with programming itself, there's a spectrum. You can either be a light licensing type, type of business, as Tom just described, all the way over to, to a vertically integrated developer and publisher. It, it just uh, feels like those worlds are merging, like interactive are, media. You know, we had Genvid on Lightshed Live a, a while ago. Like it just, it seems like the word interactive media, content creation and g- video games. I, I don't know, 10 years from now, I don't know if they're all exactly the same thing, but it, it feels like we're sort of, you know, mushing all together yeah, very it's, quickly. It's a, con- it's a continuum. It's a continuum. Right. I agree it's with that. Exactly right. Same thing with commerce opportunities. There's a continuum there too. Almost every, all of our business is becoming a continuum in many, many fat ways. It's kind of a, that in itself is a bit of an insight. It's very hard to draw, you know, bright lines between different formats, different business models. All of that has become blurred because of technology that allows it to become blurred. And the same, and you 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 consume and spend your time and spend your money on one device often, the same device across different across different use cases. So the fact that those technologies and the devices are all blending that causes this blurring line effect. I think, which is everything we do has a blurred line at this point. Yeah. Well, it's it's sort of a perfect segue into the last question. I know you guys have to wrap up and go, uh, and you've all been very generous with your time to join us today after the big news from a couple of weeks ago. But um, this is upvoted so many times, I feel compelled to ask it. Question for Kevin and Tom. Now that you're out of Disney, can you comment on Rich's famous phrase, good luck, hashtag good luck bundle? So um, <laughs> I, I want to know who Anonymous is that put that in there. <laughs> you, uh, you guys were... Uh... We're, 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 we're tough, <laughs> you're at Disney, but you know, you're all, you've always been smart and it's, you know, clearly there's truth behind the challenges there. We're seeing it. Uh, we're seeing it now. So and I don't think anyone at Disney ever denied that we were in full headlong um, appreciation of those dynamics, especially Tom, 
um, and he was CFO, um, was really on top of that, I think, early um, with a little bit of my pushing and help, I think. Really so we saw that coming. Um, and But that really know. seems to, but I say that, doesn't that really create the opportunity that you're sitting in front of? Like, you have no legacy encumbered businesses now. I mean, isn't that, like, to me, you're starting fresh. I mean, I know Sarah and Liz, I'm, I'm not doing it justice. You've been around for five years, yeah, but you literally true. have nothing that's encumbered to go build fresh for the future. That's right. Well yeah. said. I and I think, and by the way, Hello Sunshine's did a good job of building with the future in mind. And so- they, they Meaning really there are. aren't like long-term commitments that tie their hands in terms of what they can and can't do. That's correct. Uh, They've been very, I, very, very thoughtful. Sorry. Sarah. And I think what Kevin said, it's, you've got to build with a different mindset. If you look at the next five to 10 to 15 years of media, everything you just said about the convergence between these platforms. And if you just look at culture, if you look traditionally at our business, so siloed, so siloed. And I think what we set out to build, even in a small way, build an integrated media company where, you know, where juices of our biggest shows are already thinking about how we're going to launch this into a social conversation. It comes from capturing social assets on set. It comes from how we acquire IP. And I do think this is an integrated media world. It's much more complex. And um, and you can't, it's, it's not enough. I mean, it's fine to build a business but the one we wanted to build was and that's why we talk about ourselves as a media brand and a media company not in production because and before before i let you go i hate making you do this but i always make people pick their children what's the one show we've got to watch show or movie we've got to watch this year sarah i honestly can't we've got five <laughs> well i would tell you september 17th so out now truth be told on apple tv plus came out friday uh, and Octavia Spencer and Kate Hudson season two, and of course the morning show season two uh, on September seventeenth. They're the next two. That's what I'll say. I agree with Sarah and Liz, but we have Tom Mike to have to run. Talk to you later. Thank, Thank you all for joining. Take care, everyone. Thanks so much.